Well, we, uh, a few weeks ago, we finished the book of Ecclesiastes, and come August, as we announced a little earlier, we're going to be focusing on missions uh, starting on August 9th. There's five Sundays in August, so the final four Sundays. That gives me a few weeks um, to do a few standalone messages before we get after August, we get into September, and then hopefully we'll get into a book or a series uh, once again. Um, I was sitting there thinking in, in my office uh, earlier this week uh, about not being able to meet together in our ABFs and Bible studies and, and those sorts of things. And um, we've missed it for the past three months because during those ABFs and those Bible studies, we're really able to you know, kind of dig into multiple uh, depths of the Word of God and, and to discuss it and bring other scriptures in. kind of leaves us hungering uh, to dig deep into God's Word. Um, so... What I want to do for the next few weeks is I want to use that time to focus on some things that are a little bit deeper, to focus on theology, to understand who God is. Theology, the very foundation of our Christian faith, faith the study of God. What does the Bible say about the God whom we serve? What does the Bible say that we as Christians, to be a Christian, it means to believe? What are we called to practice in our theology? So this morning, uh, we're going to start this uh, with a look at the Trinity. A look at the Trinity. Um, probably one of the key verses that unlocks the door to this most important truth uh, that we look at is in Deuteronomy 6, verse uh, 4 here. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The truth that there is one God in existence. This truth was fundamental to the Hebrews' identity. It was fundamental to their distinctive as an Israelite nation that they served one God. Now you got to remember this. The Jews, they were living in the midst of a polytheistic society. I mean, in the midst of Egypt where they had all sorts of gods. You know, the gods of the mountains, the gods of the flatlines, the gods of the crops, they had fertility gods, they had the gods of war, gods of peace. You know, if, if, if there was something out there that they wanted, they just identified a god, you know, to, to kind of give it to them. And in the midst of that society, Israel stood and proclaimed that there is only one god. Now, this truth for us is also essential to our existence in Christianity. Remember Paul, when he was you know, going around and planting churches, he came to, to Greece. And while he was walking around that city, he saw all these monuments to every single God imaginable. And finally he came and there was this monument to the unknown God, just in case they forgot and they haven't named one, you know, a monument to the unknown God. And so today, you know, similar to the type, uh, time of the Israelites, we stand in the midst of a culture, a culture that worships money, worships power, worships prosperity, worships diversity, worships the God of Islam, the God of the Hindus, worships humanism, and we say as a Christian that there is only one God, one God and one God alone. Christ affirmed the importance of this monotheistic uh, belief, this monotheistic theology, 
in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. Remember, he is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he says in Mark 29, uh, 12, 29, says, Jesus answered, the foremost is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. A monotheistic belief and understanding that's part of our Christian faith. Now before I get to the end of this message, and by, or by the time we get to the end of this message, we're going to take a kind of a close look at God the Father and God the Son and, and their relationship. But before I do this, I do want to touch base on the doctrine of the Trinity. And, you know, for those of you who have been raised in the church for very long, have been part of Bible studies, I'm probably not going to add any new knowledge to your understanding of the Trinity. But in a way of, of a reminder, you know, let's, let's quickly touch base on some of the major points of what it means that we have a triune God. Okay? Well, let's start first with the truth. The, the word Trinity is not used in the Bible at all. You're, you're not going to find it translated in the Bible. Um, it's a word that we have, you know, come up with and given to describe a principle that we observe in Scripture. You know, the, the union of three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, united into one Godhead. And if you look at Scripture, the Trinity is an undeniable truth that is clearly taught in God's Word. Now let's take a look at that real quickly here. I want to begin way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the word for God there is the word Elohim. And the, the I am, E-L-O-H-I-M, the I am at the end in the Hebrew when it was placed on a noun is just like us putting an S on. So what are you saying? He is using the plural of God there. The noun is plural, and yet there's a singular concept to what it is talking about here. The verse that I shared earlier with you in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, the Lord our God is one Lord. Okay, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is the translation of it. The Lord there, that Lord word Lord is Yahweh. It is the singular use. Is our God is Elohim. It's the plural use, and then it goes back to the Lord Yahweh, that the Lord is one use. It makes it very, very clear from the very beginning of Scripture concerning the triune God. Matter of fact, if you think about in heaven, remember the seraphim that are flying around the throne? What do they cry out? Day and night it says, holy, holy, holy. Kind of identifying the Trinity there. In Isaiah 48, verse 16, it says this, Come near to me, listen to this. From the first I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Now this is a prophecy concerning the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. Look at that last line, those final words. And now the Lord God has sent me, speaking about Jesus, and his spirit. It ties those three together there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 6, it says, there, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. 
There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. So in the giving of the spiritual gifts, you have the Spirit, you have the Lord, Jesus Christ, and you have the Father, God the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. These three are all tied together uh, in, in, in this great blessing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in its fullest measure. Once again, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. They're all tied together. The, the, the Trinity is there. And, and, and even if you break it down to just Christ being called God, we don't seem to have any struggle with you know, God the Father being God. But people struggle with, is Jesus Christ God? Well, he's called God. He calls himself God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus is speaking. He says, I and the Father are one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is settling the question about meat being offered unto idols and whether or not, you know, that if someone's made a sacrifice to an idol and then they used to take it, if it's a lamb or a a cow or something, they take it to the marketplace and then they would sell it. He said, well, is it right? You know, for us to eat that meat if it's been offered, uh, you know, unto an idol, uh, the answer he gives is that, that it's fine. He says it's not wrong. There's only one God. And then he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. He says, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all things, and we exist through him. It ties God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And then concerning the Holy Spirit and God the Father, remember in Acts chapter 5, remember the the church is just exploding in Jerusalem. And believers were coming together, and because there was persecution and many were losing their jobs, they were losing their families, Christians came together and, 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 and supported one another. And people who had second homes we're selling the homes and, and giving it to the, the, the apostles that they could make the distribution to the other Christians. And there was a couple there uh, we're familiar with, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, they got caught up in it, what was happening. And they had a second home, and so they sold that home. And, you know, they wanted to be part of giving it all to the Lord, but, boy, when they got that money, you know, for it, you know, they still wanted the credit, but they wanted to hold on to some of it. And so they only gave part of it. And it says in Acts 5, verses 3 through 4, but Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So who does Peter identify that Ananias and Sapphira lied to? They lied to God. But earlier he says, you know, Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You've lied to God when you've lied to the Holy Spirit. He ties those things together. And, and again, this is just kind of scratching the surface on this truth and on this teaching. But it's clear to see that a triune God exists as one God. Now, I want to switch gears for just a little bit and be a little bit more specific and talk about the re, uh, one of the relationships in the Trinity. 
of God the Father with God the Son, Jesus Christ. By acknowledging God as his Father, let me make it clear, Jesus was not saying that he had his origin or, you know, the family tree came down through the Father and God gave birth to Jesus or you know, Jesus Christ was a creation of God the Father. The very point of the Father-Son relationship within the Trinity is not that Jesus descended from God the Father or that he had his origin in God the Father. Jesus is an eternal being. Jesus Christ descended from no one. The significance of the relationship between them is that the Son is the same essence and nature of the Father. And I know that, and, and there's a little bit of truth in this, but you know, some say that him referring to God you know, as his Father is an act of submission to him. And yes, there is truth to that. But you know, the elements of that, that, that submission you know, aren't, it doesn't carry the pure weight of what he's saying when he says that God is my Father. He's not just talking about I've submitted myself like a a son would submit themselves to the father. It goes way deeper here, and it's something that in our culture we don't understand here. The significance of of this relationship between them is that the son is the same essence, the same nature as the father. Jesus uses the title to express equality with God, you know, that they are the same. It's kind of sad that we don't have the same understanding today of the father-son relationship that the Hebrews had. To the Hebrew, one son was the expression of oneself. They were, they were inseparable. We've seemed to lost that, kind of separated the father from the son and all of that. Well, when Jesus said that God was his father, he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be equal with God. And the Jews of his day correctly understood the meaning of his words. When he said that, let me give you some examples of that. Christ, remember when he was healing on the Sabbath? The Jews sought to slay him because you know, they considered him healing on, on their holy day, the holy day, as being work. And, and Christ answers them in John chapter 5, verse 17. He says, but he answered them. He said, my father is working until now, and, my, and I myself am working. And their response to that, verse 18 For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And I want you to notice something there. Jesus understood what he was saying when he said, God is my father. The Jews understood what he was saying when he he was saying, God is my father. And when they made this claim that you're making yourself equal with God, there's something missing here. Jesus didn't correct them. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying there. Because it was true. Jesus was saying it, and they fully understood the claim that Jesus was making when Jesus said that God is my Father. That's what Christ was saying. Make no mistake. Later in the book of John, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. 
And the response to that, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, it says in verse 31, <coughs> excuse me, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. From which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And once again, there's something missing. Jesus correcting them. Jesus said, oh, oh, that isn't what I was saying. He didn't correct them because that is what he was saying. And that's what they were hearing because that is the truth that Jesus Christ was trying to make, that he and the Father are one, that he is equal with God. Matter of fact, he goes on in John chapter 17. Christ is offering this great prayer with, you know, with the Father, and he says this in verses 1 through 3 and, and then down to verse 5. He says, Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And catch verse 3 here. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Jesus is attaching himself to the Father for that glory that the Father receives, that he might receive the glory as well. He was making himself equal with God. Replying to Philip's question concerning, you know, the Father, he said in John 14, verse 9, it says, Jesus said to him, to Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Every time Christ called God his Father, he was making a statement outright about his own deity, that Jesus Christ is God. Now today, as we, as we started the message, we, we, we understand that there are those who assert in our culture that Muslims and even Jews and Christians, that we all worship the same God. People say, well, you're just worshiping him in the same way. You know, you're giving him different names. Well, that simply is not true. That is not what the Bible is saying. Our God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He cannot be defined in any other term. Cultists, Jehovah Witness, liberals who claim to worship God yet deny the deity of Jesus Christ, they worship a false God. They don't worship the God of the Bible. They may make claims of it, but it is simply not what God says about himself. So as you come to worship God, what does this all mean to us? What does the Trinity mean to me as, as a believer in Jesus Christ? It, it's, a, it's a good truth to know. But it's supposed to translate into our lives of how we walk and how we worship and how I live my Christian faith. And as you come to worship God, I want you to keep in mind that, you know, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each is worthy of our worship. Each plays an important part in our faith. God the Holy Spirit. We are called to humble our hearts before him in praise. For he's the one who reveals Jesus Christ to us. He teaches us. 
The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit is given to us that it can confer with our heart the things of the word of God and the truth of God. The Holy Spirit enlightens us that when we read scripture and, you know, we wouldn't understand it had he not taken the blinders off our eyes and causes us to understand it. We're told that the Holy Spirit in our hearts, when, when we are so, I don't know, so caught up and, and so in the midst of struggles and problems, we don't even know how to pray, it says the Holy Spirit will help us. The Holy Spirit will pray for us. The Holy Spirit will, will give us these words. So again, as a Christian, how, how often do you turn to the Holy Spirit at these times? How often do you turn to the Holy Spirit as you open up Scripture for your devotions and ask Him to enlighten your eyes? Or when you are struggling, when you are down, you're hurt, ask the Lord to give you comfort. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you comfort. Or when you don't know what to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to speak words that, that, that you can't even come up with. And God the Son... You know, we pay homage to, to the God who gave his life for us. Jesus Christ, he brought us to the Father. He gave you life and he gave his life for you. And for that we worship him. For that we give him all the praise and glory and the honor of our life. And then finally, God the Father. His love reached out to save sinful man. God the Father, he would rather give his son equal to him. He would rather give his son and allow him to pay the debt for our sin because he loves us so much that he wants to have fellowship with you. Can this make a difference in your faith today? Can this make a difference in, in how you read scripture and a difference in, in, in how you come to God and how you interact with God? We have an all-powerful God, a God who is one. He is not three gods. He is not a third God and a third God and a third God all put together. I don't understand the Trinity, but God has given us that truth. And as we turn to that Trinity to worship, as we turn to the Trinity to open up our hearts, you know, we turn to the parts of the Trinity that God has given us to do those things for us, to open up our eyes, to save us, to be the, the focus of our worship. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the honesty of your word. I thank you for that, your word, you know, even in things that are, are so far beyond us to understand that your word still speaks these truths. And as a believer in Christ, Lord, help me to keep my eyes open to this to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, and to each of yours work in my life. I thank you, Lord. It's, again, it's beyond my understanding the love that you have for us, that you care for us so much. To do all this for us, Lord. To bring us into your presence. To have fellowship here with me and one day face to face. And I will be that child of yours and I'll understand what it means. Strengthen us, Lord. Deepen our relationship with you. I pray through your word. In thy name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing as we close out the service today? <coughs>
worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. song we're going to be uh, singing and people can be dismissed during that time but as soon as that song's done pretty much we're going to uh, go ahead and start our congregational meeting if you guys can stay we'd certainly appreciate that father we thank you again that we can come to worship you we thank you for the freedoms that sometimes I, I just confess to you I take for granted to be able to boldly proclaim these words and these songs but father just not here in this building but to be able to go out and be able to tell my neighbors about this, tell those who are hurting, to be light in the midst of darkness. And I pray, Lord, that you will send us out with your power and your strength, Father, to be the hands and feet for Jesus Christ. Thank you. In thy son's name we pray. Amen. If you're not familiar with this song, you want to stay. Just let the words penetrate as you um, read them up on the screen.
Jesus.